0: I like to tell people to, you know, just kind of remember why you got started. The why is really important because motivation will fade at the end of the day. You know, what is your why? Like, you know, because uh, uh, weeks go by, months go by, and like that starts to become a little faded, a little gray. You know, you, you can almost forget why you started. And, uh, you know, if you're relying on other people to, if your people are telling you to do this and you're doing it for them, you really have to do it for yourself. And right. those changes have to come within. And when that does get hard and it's hard, it does get hard to stay with your goals. You just have to go back and be like, this is why I'm doing this. And that helps you to, you know, get back on track.
1: Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions and issues. For more information about Jay Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655 and be sure to mention this podcast.
2: Hello everybody, this is Dr. James Flowers and welcome to this edition of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Excited to have you all. Happy New Year. It's January 2023. And I have two really good friends with me today, both of whom I work with almost every single day here at J. Flowers Health Institute. First of all, we have Mo Schlachter of Houston Family Nutrition. Welcome, Mo.
3: Thank you, Doc. Uh, Good to be here as always. Yeah. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we have Dr. Clay Ardwan instead of Ardwan. Dr. Clay Ardwan. Tell everybody about yourself, Clay, and your practice, because I want everyone to know what an amazing physical therapist you are little bit about your background and how you work with our patients
0: yeah absolutely so i'm a physical therapist by trade i own seven locations here in houston and really what sets us apart from typical physical therapy is everything we do is all one-on-one we give our full undivided attention to our patients which is really necessary to see the type of results that we're trying to drive yeah the healthcare system has kind of driven just kind of these patient mills where there's just two or three patients per therapist. Each therapist is seeing 20 or 30 patients a day. My therapists see, you know, like I say, one-on-one and it really helps to kind of drive that quality of care. And that's kind of what we stand by is just giving, giving that type of attention to our patients and, and they really appreciate it. Yeah. Having that concierge level of care and people always ask me, well, what
2: is concierge care and what does it mean? And I often talk about the silos in healthcare where people go to, in our in typical medical communities, people go to a physical therapist over here and, and a nutritionist on this street, and a therapist over here and an orthopedic surgeon over here or a pain doctor on this street, but none of them really talk to each other. The other thing that both of you do really well is collaborate with other people, right? And collaborate with our team, collaborate on our patients and collaborate with your reference, but also giving that one-on-one care so, but if you need to spend an hour or an hour and a half or two hours
0: with a patient, you'll dedicate that time with your patients. Absolutely, And just like you said, I think building that team of just the, the network of referral sources around you where yeah. that patient is just totally taken care of on, on every aspect yep. and not being afraid to refer out and knowing exactly where your lane is and knowing the skills and the people around you that can also you know facilitate the better quality of care for that patient and at the end of the day, they just they're just getting everything they need on every single level. Yep. And we all communicate together very well. And it's it really makes a fun working environment. Also, Doesn't it? So it? It does. Just, it's
2: yeah. really great having working with complex individuals. And oftentimes Mo, who's a nutritionist by education and training, but I think should be and could be a psychologist, because often Mo has some amazing insights, as do you, Clay, on our patients. And you'll come back, even though we spend A tremendous amount of time our clinical team with each and every single patient really uncovering the complexities of every individual you guys also help uncover complexities and come back because they're in a different setting with you than with a therapist or a psychologist and they tell you things they often feel more comfortable telling you than they do us so tell us a little bit about your practice and how you work with our patients
3: as well sure yeah so i'm uh, a Houston Family Nutrition and our sister clinic, Nutrition Behavior Therapy. And we have locations here in Houston and the location in Austin as well. Soon to be Dallas too. You know, like you said, I mean, the work that we do is kind of like therapy in some ways. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, talking, uh, sure. goal setting, just assessing barriers. And I do find that, you know, when the topic of conversation is food, there's a little bit of ease and comfort, you know, coming in. So I find that people do you know, pretty well. And what I train my staff on is Just gathering information, assessing, and passing it along to the Mm -hmm. clinical team. You know, they'll know what matters. They'll know, you know, what's significant. And so we're just, you know, part nutrition provider and part kind of information gatherer. And in that, we, you know, we can build really deep relationships with with clients. And that's something, you know, that I love that we do here kind of Mm -hmm. as a whole team. You know, you talk about having, being able to spend the time, but also just being able to connect human to human. And and that's a big part of, you know, what we're, how we're successful here.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And you guys are great at motivating people. And since we're talking about motivation and we're talking about being January, talking about New Year's resolution, it's January, 2023. Clay, you're based out of, one of your offices is based out of the Houstonian right here on on the grounds of the Houstonian where we office. And the gym is dead at the end end of December. I was in there every day at the end of December and no one was in there, right? Just a few people a day. And then January 1st hits, and it's packed all of a sudden. So what do you see in the fitness world? I know you're a physical therapist, but you're obviously a fitness expert as well. And fitness is a huge part of your daily living, right? Absolutely. And what are you seeing in the fitness industry in January? And what are you
0: seeing with
2: New Year's resolutions? And are they really resolutions?
0: Yeah, I think I have a kind of a different take than most. I mean, a lot of people that go to the gym frequently, they really... Despise January because yeah. of all of the new people coming and there's no machines open, people don't know what they're doing yeah. and all that. And honestly, I like seeing that because mm-hmm. people are taking action. Yeah. And part of their resolution, and maybe it's getting fit and maybe it's just being more consistent. Yeah. That type of thing. So just getting there is half the battle. Yeah. Just showing up is half the battle. Right. Absolutely. Now, maintaining that consistency is another story and having a plan mm-hmm. for that is really important. But It's hard. It's hard to change habits. It's hard to change behaviors. And that's one thing to, you know, make sure people understand is like not many people can see this through. So the fact that you're willing to get this started at least is a step in the right direction.
2: Yeah. What do you do when you're working individually with people getting back into the routine of working out in January? Give us some motivation techniques that you use to get people
0: into the fitness, into the gym. Yeah. So I always like to have people kind of break down their goals, not that So everyone has like an end goal of what they want, yeah. but a lot of times it's just setting realistic expectations and setting realistic goals yeah. and making sure that, you know, if you haven't been working out at all yeah. and your goal is to get to five, let's shoot for two, let's right. shoot for two days a week. Yeah, Let's not try to knock all this out. Like if you're not sleeping eight hours a night and you're only sleeping four, mm-hmm. let's try to sleep six, right. let's try to sleep five. Right. right. Let's go to bed a little, just a little bit earlier. Right. Yeah. And we'll slowly start to, kind of get you back into regulation and and homeostasis. A lot of people, you know, they write on all these goals and have all these big aspirations and sometimes just becomes overwhelming and it it turns into inaction. Like I can't do that. I can't possibly go five days a week. Right. And they quit. Right. And then they quit and before they know it, it's, you know, 2024 and we're having the same conversation or they're, they're even further away from their goals from where they were before. And they have more responsibilities. It's just like, so just t- trying to help people kind of map that out and show them that there's a different way to do it, and right. so that they can feel you know satisfied at nighttime and they can get a good night's sleep and they feel like they're you know stepping in the right direction. Yeah. It's somewhat it kind of reminds me of training for a marathon,
2: right? I've run 28 marathons and I have not run one in about five years or so. But when I was running marathons for most of my adult life you know, talking to people and educating people about on training is similar, I think, to going back to the gym. And that is that if you're training for 26.2 miles or you're training for hundred miles or you're training for 10 miles, whatever it is, don't get out there and start running three miles five days a week or six days a week. Get out there and walk three miles a day the first That's week great, or two, Yeah, right? That's, Just get up and walk for 30 minutes and then you do it for 45 minutes and then you do it for an hour. Then you may go jog a mile, right? Or a half a mile, but don't get out and start and say, I'm going to the gym five days a week, every day.
0: Because at March, they're going to wake up and stay home just like they did every other year. I was, I like to tell people to, you know, just kind of remember why you got started. You know, the why is really important because motivation will fade at the end of the day. What's your why? You know, what is your why? Like, you know, cause weeks go by months go by and like that starts to become a little faded it's yeah. a little gray you know you, you can almost forget why you started yeah. and you know if you're relying on other people to if your people are telling you to do this and you're doing it for them mm-hmm. you really have to do it for yourself and right. those changes have to come within and when that does get hard and it's hard it, it does get hard to stay with your goals you just yeah. have to go back and be like this is why i'm doing this and mm-hmm. that helps you to you know get back on track because yeah. we're all, you're gonna we're all gonna fall off at some point, sure. And it's just trying to get back on the next day, the next meal. Right? We don't have a huge bender or a huge binge. Yep. You just get back on the next track. Mo can kind of speak to that.
2: Absolutely. So. I was gonna just say, you know, speaking of meals, Mo, another next to fitness is nutrition, mm-hmm. right? And everyone wants to go on a diet, right? In January, and I'm gonna eat in December, and then January I'm gonna go on this new diet. So it's somewhat similar or just as similar to going to the gym in January, people start these new diets and they do dry January or they do salads in January and then they fall off the wagon and they're back to their same eating habits. So tell us a little bit about your experience with the new year and what people tend to do and what maybe they should do instead.
3: Yeah, no, it is interesting being in these fields around this time of year because it is so Notorious for the you know yeah. the New Year's resolution goals. And I there's a basic split between the kind of goals that someone can set. They can set an action-oriented goal or approach-oriented goal, like I will go to the gym. I will do something that is action-oriented sure. and maybe a diet goal, which is avoidance-oriented, or I will not eat X, Y, and Z, or I will not drink this. Yeah. And there's research on it. So in, uh, there's a 2020 study that will say an action-oriented goal or a process-oriented goal has a higher statistical chance of being of sticking yep. than an avoidance-oriented goal. And then there's also statistics on goals that are set with support baked in versus mm-hmm. goals that are set where someone just kind of, you know, well, I'll do this on my own and kind of white-knuckle it. Right. So, uh, you know, we find it very interesting. At, you know, in clinic, we'll see, you know, a lot of folks come in. And they'll talk about, you know, I want to avoid X, Y, and Z. And we'll try to get them in touch with the Y, just like Clay does. And we'll also try to get them thinking about the action oriented or the positive things that that will be done instead of what we're avoiding. It could be, you know, changing the conversation from, you know, I want to have less sugar to I want to eat more fruits and vegetables, something that's a little bit more action oriented.
2: Sure. Absolutely. And speaking of sugar, another huge thing that we're seeing in our society over the last few months and it seems like every week i hear more and more about this on the news on every time you open up my iphone there's something about ozempic or wegovy out there and it's the new medication of the stars right and wealthy people who are wanting to go on diets and spend $1000 a month on ozempic or wegovy about $1000 a month but what's your thought on this new weight loss technique that people are using the injection yeah. once-a-week injection, either Wygovi or a and and give us some of your advice on that.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, the injection, you know, has a lot of good research behind it. You know, as a diabetes medication, it's not necessarily a first-line medication, but when, you know, either first-line medications fail or if a person's, you know, system can't really tolerate the first-line or the a max dose of a first line, it's a medication that is brought on board and it mm-hmm. does have a weight loss side effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something that is effective. I think, you know, when when considering, you know, interventions for weight loss or for diabetes, it's about risk management. It's mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, the medication is going to present some kind of risk, but then it's offset by, you know, the decreased risk of resolving, you know, the primary condition. Right. So, you know, I think it's everyone definitely got to talk to their own doctor and make their own decision about Mm -hmm. it, you know, but when we work with clients who either, you know, might do surgery for weight loss, Mm -hmm. medication for weight loss, a crash diet for weight loss, and we focus as a team on what the day after that intervention is going to look like. So regardless of, you know, what it was that got a person from point A weight to point B weight, Mm -hmm. we want to help them know that Their lifestyle is going to sustain the progress that they've made. Yeah. So whether they haven't started their journey yet or they're, you know, somewhere in the middle, we're going to help them build a lifestyle that, you know, surpasses the effects of the medication, the injection, the pill, the surgery, or whatever it might be.
2: Great. What advice? I'm going to ask you both the same question, and I'd love some feedback on that. So what do you say to someone that's listening today that wants to lose 15 to 20 pounds? right they're living their life they're functional they're working they do a little bit of exercise and they want to shed about 15 to 20 pounds what's your thought on the best way in 2023 to lose 10 to 15 pounds that's a deep <laughs> question is.
3: you know i think going back to what clay said earlier i think it's getting in touch with the why first yeah. it's knowing you know it's assessing how important it really is to the person and what they expect you know for it to do for them whether or not it's well-informed, just knowing. So maybe
2: even writing it down, why is this important for <laughs> me? could be step number one. Why Absolutely. do I want to lose 10, 10, mm-hmm. 15, 20 pounds?
3: Yeah. And then uh, at least for us, along with that assessment is knowing what their history with losing weight is. Have they lost a pound before? Have they, you know, are they very experienced? Have they, you know, does their history give us clues as to what works for them? Right. And I think, you know, maybe the best way to, to approach it is the way that we can assess in clinic to have either have worked for them or, you know, has the best shot at working mm-hmm. for them. I know I'm kind of dancing around it, but you know, I can get more into strategies, but I'm curious to tell you what you think.
0: Yeah. I think it's very important to find out how important that 10 to 15 pounds is because I yeah. hear a lot of people say that mm-hmm. and they don't really want to do that. Yeah, so that's once, what I hear
2: all the time is, oh, I
0: want to lose 10 pounds. Right. So lose where, pounds. where does that fall on, you know, the importance in your life at this, at this time, also setting like, okay, are you doing this to get ready for a certain date? Do you have something coming up or you need to lose this by, or is this right. something that we can push out a little bit longer? Yep. Because there's, I would take it in a different path depending on the time frame there. And then also, you know, just kind of looking at the person's ability to sacrifice. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice to do this, right? Yep. These are the things that are restricting you and we'll lay those out and say, okay, you eat out three times a day, mm-hmm. right? Are you willing to meal prep a little bit? You know, you have two alcoholic beverages at nighttime, are you willing to cut that down to one or maybe right. two nights a week? Right. Yeah. So if all that, if they won't sacrifice any of that, then it's like, well, it's probably not that important to them. Right. So yeah. you got to see like how willing they are to, to do that. And also their time frame. right. A lot of people are busy. People are parents and they're working right. and all that stuff. So a lot of people don't have an extra couple hours during the week to work out. So, right. you know, just trying to see what they do have available to them. So mm-hmm. then you can try to utilize that time for them and teach them that, Okay, maybe you can't get away for an hour, Mm -hmm. but twenty minutes is better than nothing, right? Right. Can you can you get up ten minutes earlier and do do something, right? You know, so you don't need to block out two hours in the middle of your day. Maybe it's twenty minutes, you know, before your day starts, and twenty minutes when you go to bed, right? That can make a huge difference over the course of you know weeks and months. It sure can. Yeah.
2: Let's talk about chronic pain for just a minute, and really for both of you, all three of us work in chronic pain with a lot of chronic pain patients. You know, you work with inflammatory conditions, you work with sciatica and all types of spine pain. Tell us a little bit about your approach to low back pain and how to help someone from a physical therapy standpoint in overcoming something like either sciatica, pinched nerve, or any type of spine pain that someone may be having.
0: Yeah, let's say that's, mm-hmm. that's a good question because I treat a lot of back pain. Yeah, you know, eighty percent of the population will have back pain at some time, at some point in their life, yep. and you know, sometimes it does become chronic. And it, a lot of what we do is getting people focused on again their why and their goals, mm-hmm. and trying to get them more focused on function rather than what is their pain score when they come in. Right. I want them to okay. What 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 are you trying to do? Are you trying to play with your grandkids? Are you trying to get out and swing the golf club? Are you right. trying to get to the gym? Like. Mm-hmm what have you, were we able to do that during the week rather than every time when they come in, someone's asking them what their pain is. Right. Right. What's that pain skill? What's your pain? So their brain immediately just goes to pain. So a lot of what we do is we try to kind of unravel that and Mm -hmm. try to get them to kind of focus more on the functionality of what Mm -hmm. their life could look like. Also, I mean, we treat their pain, of course, and come up with a plan for them. And we set that out for them in a realistic timeline and we make sure that they understand kind of what their process is and Having a team that also understands, you know, pain science and how to deal with that, having those referral sources is huge because we, you know, on a musculoskeletal standpoint and what we can do in the clinic and what you guys can do here in the office Mm -hmm. and therapy sessions that just like we've seen so many patients just go from night and day. And just, it's really amazing to see what that kind of combination of therapy can do.
2: It really is. You know, there's not very many places in the country really that have an interdisciplinary team to really work with chronic pain because if you don't approach it from a multifaceted and interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary way, then the patient will do well in physical therapy, but then they leave and their depression hits again or they're eating improper foods and the pain comes back up and they don't know how to manage it, right? So from a nutritional standpoint, what's your best advice for chronic pain patients and anti-inflammatory foods and things like that?
3: Yeah, I think inflammation is the, you know, the big one that we look after. So first is looking at the obvious contributors to inflammation, whether it's smoking, alcohol, it could be, you know, poor sleep as well. So just getting those things, you know, wrapped up and then being very proactive, going back to, you know, what I said earlier about proactive goals versus avoidance oriented Mm -hmm. goals regardless of where a person's diet is at a given moment, there's always this opportunity to increase anti-inflammatory foods, right? There's increased fruit and vegetable intake, right? Even if there's all this stuff that a person's distressed about, well, I do this late night eating, I eat the wrong things, or my cheat meals get away from me, you can always add more greens, you can always add more berries, nuts, and then you can get into some of the healthy fats with more fish and salmon. I think it's helping a person understand the you know, how important these nutrients are to keeping inflammation low, mm-hmm. and we can measure that. I, uh, something I love that we do here is we have, you know, all the testing that we do, the diagnostics. We can show to a client, you know, what where their inflammation levels are at, and then, you know, with a diet intervention, see how that makes an impact. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really just being more proactive, understanding that there are lots of different anti-inflammatory nutrient groups, and helping a person go from baseline to increasing them up to adequate levels. Right. Yeah. Something I like to talk
2: about with chronic pain patients is the way in which we perceive pain, right? And it's all through our nervous system, right? And when the nervous system is activated, the pain level increases. So the more anxious we are, we have higher levels of pain. When we eat fried foods, it activates the nervous system and it increases our pain. When we're not working out, right, it's going to increase our pain. And talk about the difference in working out between pain and soreness because so many patients we send to physical therapy with chronic pain come back and say, Oh my God, it hurt. I'm in so much pain, it's not necessarily pain. Yeah. It's soreness from working out and yeah. adjusting.
0: And that can be hard to distinguish, you know, when you had chronic pain yeah. and you're starting to feel these changes and things yeah. here and there. And we just, we try to get them to understand that that is a normal yeah. thing in the process of retraining the body and your right. yourself and your nervous system to adapt. And, to desensitize the area, you always almost have to sensitize it a little bit, yeah. so the body can change and you can feel these things and adapt. So there's definitely a challenge when it comes to that, and just trying to keep the load and the type of exercise that you do at, at a level that they can tolerate, as to not overexcite the nervous system, and also to get them to buy in. You yeah. Know? So that relationship between the therapist and the client is very important. They need to be able to trust that relationship and that you're you're not going to hurt them mm-hmm. because they've been in pain their whole lives, you know, for That's most right. of it. And if they feel like you're going to hurt them, you're, it just kind of goes out the window. Right. So a lot of it's just having conversations and building that rapport with the patients or even more important than the exercise itself. It's just yeah. like you have to be able to build that trust. I completely
2: agree. And I think the greatest way to build that trust again is working one-on-one Not in a big group setting, not working with 30 patients a day, but working with a small group of patients individually like you guys do and what you're experts at and what we do here. And so what we're talking about really is, is your total life and total wellness in a collaborative multidisciplinary setting. And the best way to attack a complex issue is not just with one individual, but really working with a team of experts in each area of healthcare, really. So any closing thoughts, Mo?
3: And you know, I think that really comes into play, especially around this time of year. We'll have folks come into clinic with a goal of, you know, I want to eat healthier, or I want to lose some weight, or I want to, you know, be, you know, more physically fit. And they have, you know, they might have an idea that, you know, I'm going to the nutrition guy to Mm -hmm. accomplish these goals. And when we, you know, orient a client to the idea that it takes activity and food and sleep and managing your stress and emotion, the hydration, and you know, getting your medical, you know, stuff in order you know, that's where the, I think where the rubber meets the road. I think folks come in, they say, I want to do these things. I want to lose, you know, this amount of weight, or I want to get this much healthier. But then when we have the conversation, you know, well, working 60 hours a week and kind of bottling up all your stress really isn't working for you. Maybe, you know, you might want to start, find someone to talk to about that. You know, sometimes people are all for it. Sometimes, you know, that's where they have to make a choice. Well, you know, I didn't really sign up for that. Right. You know, I'm not really sure that's going to be part of the process. And that's, I think where, you know, the motivation to like get these things done comes up against, you know, what needs to happen. So I think my closing thought is just really orienting the listener here to the idea that anything in the realm of health or nutrition or physical activity goal There's all these other elements that need to be considered, and a 360 approach really is going to be the best way to get it done. Absolutely.
2: And Mo, if someone wants to get a hold of you and talk about a nutritional consult, how do they do that?
3: Sure. HoustonFamilyNutrition.com, easiest way. We have a lot of contact forms on there, and we'll get back here real quick.
2: Excellent. And Dr. Clay, you're all over the city now. I know that. How do people get a hold of you guys?
0: Yeah, pretty similar to him. We have a, a really easy, accessible website. It's Sculpt. That's S-C-U-L-P-T-U-P-T dot com or you can give us a call 713-489-8182 and we'll be happy to chat with you about whatever you got going on.
2: Yeah, I can tell you guys that are listening today that these two individuals have helped countless number of our patients over the last several years and have had huge successes with our patients and I enjoy working with both of you. And happy 2023. It's going to be a great year. You can reach them or me at jflowershealth.com or 713-783-6655 at jflowershealthinstitute. Or individually, you're welcome to reach out to either one of these two experts. But again, thank you guys and happy new year. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Happy, happy new, new year. year. Yeah. Thanks, you
3: yeah. And I'd like to remind everyone watching or listening to us that there are numerous platforms to find our podcast: YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Please share this episode on social media or with someone that you think it could help.
2: Absolutely.
3: And we remind you also that a clear diagnosis is key to the most effective treatment possible.
2: Yes, it is. See you Thanks next week. Thanks again, Robin.
3: Thank yeah. you.